Welcome to BerryCast, a podcast from CloudBerry Creative exploring all things UX. I am Virginia Bieta, your host. This season, we're starting a dialogue about the broken rung that women face on the corporate design ladder by listening to some of the talented women who are changing the industry. Today's guest is Cynthia Kellum, Global Senior Director of Digital Customer Experience at TE Connectivity. Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Virginia. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's start out with a little more background info about the company you work for. TE Connectivity is a technology company that designs and manufactures connectivity and sensor products for harsh environments. Emerging from a business that was created back in 1941, TE has grown and transformed to the point where they now manufacture over 270 billion products annually. Keeping up with the lightning pace of digital technology is a particular challenge when connecting TE sales and support teams with your valuable customers, and TE's leadership has made digital transformation a priority. So Cynthia, why is it so important that change like this digital transformation is being driven from the top? When a company has existed for a long time, operating from an inside-out perspective with the business and products in the center rather than the customer, and especially when that company is very large, and TE has over 80,000 employees all over the world, making the transition to customer centricity is really difficult. Uh, you know, you have to move a lot of hearts and minds across the organization. And I would say it's, it's arguably impossible without leadership commitment to that. What advice would you give to folks in, you know, say, any industry, I guess, who aren't seeing that same commitment from the top of their companies? So my first advice is to not give up. It's very rare to find a company these days with leadership that doesn't care about their customers or hasn't heard about the importance of customer experience. Um, Keep working to bring qualitative and quantitative customer-centric insight into your proposals and recommendations. And listen really carefully when you're presenting that material and see what type of positioning resonates best. And then keep refining and reworking. So even at TE Connectivity, which uh, where I have commitment from the top, I spent a tremendous amount of time developing stories and narratives uh, that resonate with my audiences, so that I can uh, drive change with them. So you know, I care very deeply about customer needs and fixing pain points in the customer's experience. But unless I can get my audience to care just as deeply, then it's really difficult to inspire action. I'm going to step back a little bit, so you're getting the. Uh, UX way back machine and go back to when you first started out um, in this industry. You know, it takes a very special developmental cocktail to make a customer and user experience leader like you. Um, and I understand that an interest in anthropology is both directly and indirectly responsible for driving you to where you are today. So tell me about how that intersection led you to your first successes in UX design. Absolutely. So I first discovered human factors design and UX totally by chance at a temp job. I studied anthropology at undergraduate school and was enrolled in grad school and planning to uh, begin classes soon, but I, I needed to find some, uh, some work in the meantime. And I took a temp job and happened to get assigned to a small digital team at a prescription benefits company that also had one of the largest automated pharmacies in the world. This was in the late 90s, the very beginning of health and medical information proliferation online, and I was tasked to help define, design, and build a health information hub for the company's website. I really I fell in love with the work, and this turned into the start of my career, uh, 
and user experience design when my manager offered me a full-time job and flexibility and tuition reimbursement to go to grad school uh, for anthropology in parallel. And uh, to me, you know, UX and customer experience more broadly is like real-time applied anthropology in action. And I feel really lucky to have had leaders who saw both my passion for the field of UX as well as the potential I had to offer. What does that mean, applied anthropology in action? So uh, social anthropology, which is the field I was studying, is is the study of patterns of behavior in different cultures and groups. So how people communicate, organize, think, and understand and assign value. And um, it's at its core, UX design and customer experience are about, of course, better understanding exactly these same things and then applying what you learn intentionally in the design of experiences so that they are easy and effortless for customers. So in anthropology, because much of the insights gathering is completed through in-field ethnographic research, it can take years, um, lots of observation. It then there's lots of time that's required to compile all of those insights and uh, publish them in academic publications. There's typically very little feedback or means by which to validate learnings and assumptions. It's more of a, a, a sequential and linear process. With customer experience design, of course, we learn through research and voice of customer insights and behavioral data, and then we apply that in quick succession via experience design. We, we publish those experiences live, and once customers begin interacting, we, in real time, learn whether those experiences are successful or not. We continue the cycle uh, and apply those learnings back into uh, incremental improvements in the experience. So this feedback loop is something akin to a, like a dialogic design process or continuous conversation between a designer or the anthropologist in this, in this uh, metaphor and the customer or the culture and people whom we're trying to better understand. I mean, I, I just adore this metaphor. I, I love, I just got so excited when you had said that you let us know about your anthropology background. And I felt like it was extremely exciting, um, but also really intimidating, um, mainly just because you know, and, and you've got the ology at the end that makes it a science and that makes it scary. So I was just wondering if, you know, an anthropological noob with some UX chops wanted to go a little bit deeper on this topic, what would you recommend they do? So I'm sure you could find a lot more current content on these topics online now, but you know, two books that I found really useful early on in, uh, as I was discovering user experience design and thinking about the, the relationship between anthropology and UX, uh, two books were The Design of Everyday Things by Don Norman, which is a very early UX book, and then also a book called Being Digital by Nicholas Negroponte. And they both kind of helped me think more about the relationship between culture and society and then products and things and ultimately technology and digital experiences in our lives. I also uh, understand that there's now an entire field of anthropology called design anthropology. So that might be an interesting place to explore as well. I mean, speaking of current relevant content versus the books that you found useful when you were starting out, you came up in the field during its inception in the 90s. Um, what people, resources did you find really helped you out in the beginning? And uh, how have you seen these things transform over the years? Sure. So I entered the field again pretty early on and had the opportunity to work both with highly supportive managers and mentors and leaders um, at the company I was at, 
but also with some big name founders in the field of UX, like the Nielsen Norman Group and Alan Cooper. And I learned a ton about the practice of UX from those experts. But at the same time, you know, the leaders that I had, managers, et cetera, they were really essential in my building my confidence, making space for my voice, and giving me increasing levels of responsibility and challenge. Since the 90s, there's been so much growth in digital, uh, as well as in the field of user experience design and customer experience more broadly. And pretty much everyone talks about wanting to be customer-centric, listening to and designing for the customer. There's so many experiences now that are significantly easier than they used to be. I think about how we manage our money, how we book vacations, how we research a specific scientific topic. But at the same time, our world is considerably more complex, at least it seems that way. Um, and I, I feel like you know, ev- everywhere I look, there's always opportunities for improved experience design. So um, you know, certainly tremendous more resource for those of us that are focused on customer experience and UX design. But at the same time, I think also uh, tr- tremendous more com- complexity. There's this quote by the anthropologist Clifford Geertz that I've always really liked and I, I think applies here. So he describes anthropology as a science whose progress is marked less by a perfection of the consensus than by a refinement of debate. What gets better is the precision with which we vex each other. And the way that I think about uh, this quote is that Clifford Geertz is referring to um, that while we're getting better tools and increased intention on listening to customers and acting on the insights we gather, we aren't actually getting closer to perfect experiences, that that's kind of an elusive, uh, it's a goal, it's an impossible goal. Um, so we have all these more tools and we keep listening, but we'll never get to perfection. We're really just getting closer to uh, paying attention to what really matters. So do you think that's what he means when he says that something is getting better? It's the... Uh, just the experience of the process or, or what? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. What he's really saying is about the dialogue, that this is about the conversation that we're having, that the it's about the learning that we have every time we have a conversation, right? So from a UX perspective, every time we listen to customers and we try to better understand what the needs are, and then we, we make an attempt at solving for those needs, it's not about achieving a perfect experience. It's about the learning that occurs in that dialogue and in that uh, in that process. At least that's the way I think about it, mm-hmm. that you know, it will never be perfect. There will be always be opportunities to get better. And what's important is about what we learn in the process of, of striving to achieve a, a, a better conversation and a, be- a better experience. Yeah, I love that. It's a, it is the, the process is in some ways uh, the goal, or at least it's revealing many, many, many go- more goals. And the more that we, um, the more that people strive for to achieve some sort of end result perfection, the more likely they are to miss all the opportunities along the way. Absolutely. It's, uh, you could use the peeling the onion metaphor also, right? That you're, um, but it's, uh, you're, you're constantly understanding more about the type of of value that we all seek in, in experiences, mm-hmm. um, and both the customer. And then of course, in, in, uh, from a designer standpoint, from in our, our desire to, uh, to, to satisfy those needs through a, through an experience design. As I mentioned at the very beginning of this part of what Cloudberry is doing with BerryCast this season is particularly looking, um, at the situation for women in leadership in uh, UX and customer experience design. Um, 
and one thing that we had noticed and partially inspired this uh, was the AIGA and Google Design Census that revealed that more women than ever are in the design workforce, but only 11% of women hold leadership positions in the industry. Uh, so being part of that 11% means you are succeeding in a male-dominated industry. Congratulations. And now that the congratulations are out of the way, um, let's talk a little bit about those roles of women in UX and CX leadership. So what kind of a role do you feel that your gender has played over the course of your career uh, in UX, CX strategy and leadership? So I've been lucky, I think, over the course of my career to not have had my gender be super top of mind for me most of the time. Um, and I spent time kind of reflecting on this this recently. Uh, there are certain moments when it was, and those stand out to me as being very memorable because they were very uncomfortable and particularly difficult. Um, and the moments were typically about me being the only or one of the only women in, in the room, particularly in cases uh, when I reflect back when I was also the youngest. So for me personally, this was a um, combination of youth and gender, especially in a room of senior level and seasoned male business leaders or technology leaders. It was just really a confidence busting moment for me. For me. I felt like a little sister trying to keep up with an older sibling. And while this was largely self-assigned, I don't remember anyone ever directly assigning me that type of a position. The impact was the same as I would retreat and stop speaking up and participating. And in some cases, I even decided I didn't want to be a part of those environments anymore. Um, on, the, on the flip side, I've been very lucky to have had, met, had mentors, bosses, and colleagues, both men and women, who've gone out of their way to coach and support me, perhaps in part because they wanted to actively support an advancing woman and, and leader in the design space. You use the that phrase, confidence busting, um, and that's just that's so immediate and visceral. I mean, how did you feel like you got from confidence being busted to being confident enough to claim that space in the room? I think it was largely the support of these managers and coaches that I've that I've mentioned, and I've I've seen more recently specific training for uh, even at, at T Connectivity, we have uh, some training that focuses on how leaders can actively support and make space for uh, diverse voices in the room that uh, particularly people and members of the conversation that may not feel as confident or that it's as easy or that the space is readily available for them. And I do think in reflecting back that it was in particular those colleagues and peers or other leaders in the room who helped make space for me, you know, verbally, actively said, uh, called my name and invited me to speak up, especially when they knew that I had something to offer, that that really made a big difference. And then the more I did it, the more confident I became. And uh, that doesn't mean that it's easy every time. I still face moments uh, today, even at the level that I'm at, where I have uh, moments where I don't feel as confident and I have to kind of just... Uh, just kind of get myself to move forward with it and say something that I feel needs to be said. Um, and so it's especially important for those that are not, uh, who don't have the titles or may not be in the same position to be supported by, by those around them and make sure that, again, we're kind of proactively making space for these nurse voices. It sounds like a, a good start of a solution. And I, I know um, that 
you really love gnarly problems. Um, so do you have any thoughts, any other thoughts on solving the problem of underrepresentation of women, uh, gender non-binary individuals in UX and design leadership? So I just think like most gnarly problems, the this one is best solved by a combination of ground up and top down action. So every single person who cares about this problem should consider what they can personally do to make a difference, whether that is actively supporting and making space for the women and non-binary members of their teams and organizations, uh, or focusing on diverse hiring practices, um, especially from a top down perspective. So, I mean, we talked about the importance of top down commitment in transforming to a customer centric um, approach to problem solving, I think in this case as well, top down absolutely makes a difference. You know, design leaders and leaders in general just need to make clear their requirement that a diverse slate of candidates for open roles is a mandate, not negotiable, and even set specific diversity targets. Stepping back from leadership to just getting started, is there any special advice you would give to women just getting started in UX design? Hey, get out there and start doing. Say yes to projects and assignments, even when they are really hard or when the customer client or project sponsor is difficult to work with. I think we've all had, had those experiences. Um, those are all learning opportunities. Take the time to listen and learn from those around you, uh, both what you like and, and want to emulate and also those things that you that you don't want to emulate. There are going to be times when a decision is made about a project you don't agree with or a direction a project is going. And you should definitely find the right time to voice your position. But again, these are learning experiences to take with you to the next uh, project and the next one after that. I've been coached many times over my career to pick my battles. And even now I need to remind myself of this but working on challenging projects where hard trade-off decisions are being made, even when you don't personally get to make them, you'll learn both by making my mistakes and then by watching others uh, make mistakes <laughs> so that you can see, you know, what do you really care about and uh, what can you let go next time? So, Cynthia, if you had a slogan, a tagline, or a motto, what would it be? I love the motto, creativity loves constraints. And in fact, I've even made my team mugs with this, with this motto on it. So I'm a, I'm a pretty pragmatic person, and I also have a very strong bias towards system-based solutions, scale, and sustainability. I frequently see custom solutions and designs fail to deliver on expectations specifically because they, they lack the ability to scale. Um, and it's not to say that there isn't a place for, for kind of highly custom and curated solutions, but rather that uh, it's really important to um, understand that they won't be able to, to scale so that everyone can have that expectation up front. So the reason I love this quote is because um, I don't believe creativity is really about kind of, uh, you know, green, always about greenfield or totally boundless opportunity. I, I think it's important to define constraints up front, not only helps ensure alignment and clear expectations, but gives a team clarity and focus for their creativity and innovation. Um, I'm going to change gears a little bit and uh, talk about what's front of mind right now for a lot of us. Um, we're recording this episode during the COVID-19 pandemic 
it's this unprecedented challenging time for for the world for the united states for all of us that are trying to just keep gears turning while observing stay at home physical distancing orders so i just wanted to ask you how has your role as a team leader adjusted to accommodate the given circumstances so certainly very difficult times and uh, i would say one of the ways that my role has changed is that I'm actively spending more time to reach out to my team members as well as my uh, colleagues and peers to just check in and see how, uh, how everyone is doing um, mentally and uh, health wise and ask about family um, and just create a space and uh, where my team can share what their concerns may be or be their fears, their challenges. I think it's especially important right now to create spaces where individual team members can uh, share, share how they're feeling. I think it's particularly important that leaders uh, continue to actively acknowledge the uh, the challenge that their employee, the challenges their employees may have both uh, the um, stress or depression they may be feeling uh, as well as the um, and fears they may have about what's happening around them. And so it's absolutely an opportunity to learn more and to take that empathetic perspective of, of listening and trying to put yourself in other people's shoes to understand how you can better help them and enable them to be successful. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think, I feel like this discussion is going to be valuable to a lot of women who see leaders like you and admire your career, what you've done, where you're going. Um, And so I just want to thank you again. Um, But before I let you go, uh, there's a question I've been wanting to ask you that we ask all of our guests. So Cynthia, if you could take anything back to the drawing board for a complete user-centric overhaul, what would it be? So I, this is a pretty uh, relevant for me recently. I have uh, a kid in elementary school, second grade, and while he was still physically going to school, of course, we're homeschooling now, it seemed that every week there was a new slip of paper, paper coming home with a URL on it and a code that we had to type in for access to something the PTO or online learning learning app or digital grades or lunch money payments or parents community. And um, there's got to be a better way to centralize and integrate these options to make it easier for both parents and, and teachers. I know that's a, it's a kind of a everyday type of a type of a problem to solve, but it's one that I've been thinking about um, uh, since entering the public school, uh, public school system just a, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like um, redesigning education um, is definitely going to be coming out of one of the things that comes out of this moment. Absolutely. I mean, the uh, we're learning a ton going through the homeschooling experience, and um, and it's it is very interesting, and uh, I'm sure that's just one of ma- of many things we'll be reevaluating uh, when we get out the other side. Yeah, I bet. Well, Cynthia, 
I just want to thank you so much for joining us today on BerryCast. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. I hope that we have a chance to have you back again. Thank you so much, uh, Virginia. It was wonderful to talk.